So, so I set the room up like this tonight, thinking that it would uh, inspire more fellowship, and it definitely has. Uh, we've been just awesome. chatting up a storm. Oh, hi, I've heard conversations about Mortal Kombat, about uh, old golfers, and uh, but we're going to get started tonight uh, on the book of Romans, chapter 11. Uh, tonight, guys, as we continue our series that we're calling Justified, as we're going through the book of Romans, walking through the book of Romans, uh, semi-verse by verse, but definitely... Um, uh, chapter by chapter, uh, we're diving in, we're seeing what scripture has to say. Uh, and tonight we're going to be doing something different. Um, we, uh, we have been taking each chapter about one chapter every two weeks. Uh, we're doing the inverse tonight. We're doing, uh, two chapters in one week. Uh, we're, we're going to hit chapter 11 and 12 tonight. Um, how many of you guys were here last week? Who was here last week? Okay, so uh, some of us were here last week, if not the majority of us. Uh, how many of you guys appreciated Josh's sermon uh, from chapter 10? It's a solid sermon, uh, and I'm going to kind of like replicate what Josh did last week. He's like, I started taking notes and the margins, and uh, I, I, I didn't have note space because uh, I wasn't able to write my sermon in my Bible because I had notes from Matt, and I wasn't able to write my sermon in my Bible because I have notes from Josh. So uh, that being said, I want to encourage you guys to take notes tonight. Uh, sometimes I sound like a robot when I talk about notes, um, but I'm going to say what I say every time. Uh, I encourage you to take notes tonight, not because I think I have anything good to say, uh, but because I know God's Word uh, has something to say. And so uh, be encouraged tonight uh, by the Lord's Word. Um, and we're going to dive in, guys. There's a lot of ground to cover. If I were to read uh, both chapters straight through, that's 36 verses in 11 uh, and another 21 uh, in chapter 12. I'm not going to read them all. Um, so we're going to pray, and then we're just going to dive in. How's that sound? Awesome. Dear God, we thank you so much uh, for this evening. God, thank you for bringing us all out here. Um, God, I, I pray that tonight you would be glorified uh, through this service. Uh, God, thank you for fellowship. Uh, thank you for friendship. God, thank you for laughter. Uh, God, thank you that we can uh, have a good time. Uh, God, and I pray that uh, we continue having a good time as we study your word and as we look at uh, what you have to say, uh, say to us uh, as Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this letter uh, some 1900 years ago to the church in Rome. Uh, God, we thank you that your word is timeless, uh, that though the grass of the fields and the lilies, they wither away, the word of God endures forever. And so, God, we thank you that your word is timeless and it speaks to us. God, I pray that tonight none of these would be my words, uh, but God, that you would speak through me. Uh, anything that would be of Matt, uh, God, I pray that uh, it would fall on deaf ears. Uh, and God, that your perfect word would come through. Uh, and God, that we would be encouraged and that we'd be built up in our most holy faith. Uh, as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So God, uh, we thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. 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 How many of you guys got your Bibles? Yeah, let's let's see the Bibles. Put them up in the air. Uh, you see this every week. Don't do it now. Josh is throwing notes everywhere. Um, so yeah, uh, God's Word, Romans, chapter eleven. Josh is throwing money. Uh, so start grabbing Josh's Bible. He carries money every week. Um, okay, so guys, uh, as we've seen in this letter thus far, um, we're going to do just like the super speed. We're 10 chapters in, uh, super speed review of where uh, we are. Paul is writing this letter to a church that was established in Rome. What makes the letter to the Romans different than any of his other letters? He's writing to a church he did not establish or a church he did not know personally. He's writing to a church that he longed to go to, he longed to fellowship with. And since he didn't know them, he wasn't going to approach uh, or, or, or deal with specifically um, a, a problem that they were having or a theological question that they had. He was able to give them pure, sound doctrine, unadulterated. This is the truth. This is what's going down. Uh, I've been doing some study on church history uh, more recently because I'm teaching a college-level class on church history, uh, which, which some of these uh, interns are in. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. And I learned a little bit in my study about the church in Rome. Uh, and I thought this would be fun to kind of touch on tonight. 
how many of you guys know, uh, this is the fun question and answer time uh, during the sermon where you guys can throw out your answers. You don't have to raise your hand because we're out of high school. Um, so how many of you guys know who teamed up with Saul, who later became Paul, who teamed up with Saul in Antioch and was commissioned by the church in Antioch to go be apostles to the Gentiles? Barnabas. Barnabas. Okay, so Barnabas is this guy. He was a Cyprian Jew. Uh, he had converted. Uh, he, he was wealthy. He was a leader in the church. He had sold property, given the money uh, to the church. Barnabas is a stud. Well, church tradition has this, and I never knew this. I just found this out after like six or seven years studying church history. Uh, but church tradition holds that the church in Rome was established by none other than Barnabas. Barnabas happened to be in Rome. Uh, he was a Christian at the time, and he established a house church in Rome. Um, another fun little thing, one of the people that he trained up and discipled and led to the Lord uh, was a young Roman man by the name of Clement. Uh, you're like, oh, Clement, oh, that means nothing to me. Um, but Clement happens to be uh, a great leader in the church. He was an early leader uh, in the church. He wrote some amazing letters that we still have today, some uh, 1900 years later. Uh, Clement was a very uh, cool dude. He was the third leader of the church in Rome. The first leader of the church in Rome was a guy by the name of Linus. Uh, after Linus, so, so Barnabas established it, uh, Peter and Paul both do ministry with it, Linus is the pastor of the church, after Linus was a guy by the name of, you guys ready for this? You might want to write this down in your notes, uh, because this is a future idea for the name of a kid, um, Anticletus. Anacletus. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Anacletus, you can just call him Cletus. Uh, it's a very uh, southern name. Uh, but Anacletus was the second leader of the church in Rome. And after Anacletus, we had Clement. Uh, and Clement was the leader of the church in Rome at about 95 to 100 AD, uh, doing some cool things. And the church in Rome was continuing to grow and continue to be strengthened. So Paul, writing this letter, he opens it up with this greeting. Uh, he, he then goes to, to approach sin and how sin has entered the world and, and man's role uh, in a sinful world, God's role with the sinful world. Uh, and from there he goes to talk about um, how the Jews uh, were God's chosen people. And then from the Jews being God's chosen people, uh, how they messed some things up and how there was a necessity for the Lord. Uh, and then he talks about the law and he talks about uh, if the law is able to save. He talks about how the law falls short from time to time. Uh, and then he dives into uh, this explanation of what it means to be saved. And we see uh, that in chapter 10. Uh, Josh did a great job at wrapping that up uh, last week uh, with some questions that we as believers should be asking ourselves. Uh, if you were here last week, you might have these in your notes. Um, but if you weren't or you didn't write them down, I've got these six questions again because I think these are really good. Uh, th these were Josh's six questions uh, that we should be asking ourselves if, uh, as believers. Are we believing? Uh, the next one, um, are we preaching? Then are we about the kingdom? Are we owning the gospel? I like that one. Are we owning the gospel? Number five, are we open-handed with the gospel? Uh, and then the sixth one, are we keeping our hands open? Uh, and I think that's really important. Uh, and Paul is going to talk about some of that keeping hands open as we move into chapter 11. Uh, whose hands are going to be open? Um, not man's, but God's. So pick up with me uh, in chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, I say then, has God cast away his people? Or has God thrown Israel out with the garbage? He says, certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. And God has not cast away his people who he foreknew. Or do you know that the scripture says of Elijah how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed a knee to Baal. Um, Paul is quoting here uh, some uh, of, of the things that Elijah said. Uh, Elijah uh, was a man just like us. That's what scripture tells us. Elijah was a man with a heart just like us. And um, Elijah kind of got tunnel vision at one point in his life. And he said, God, I'm all by myself. I'm the only one who believes. Uh, I'm kind of feeling depressed. 
I don't know what to do. My life really sucks. It'd be better to be dead. I'm all alone. What should I do? And God says, Elijah, 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 you're not all alone. There's over 7,000 prophets for me. I've got your back. It's okay. Uh, and, and, and God was reaffirming him. Paul brings this up because uh, Paul is this guy who, uh, who was a Jew. He was like a Pharisee of Pharisees. He converts. Uh, and he could have felt like the world was against him. He's being persecuted. He's being driven out of city after city. He's stoned. He's shipwrecked. But Paul knows he's not alone because the Lord uh, has reaffirmed him of these things. He goes on to say this in verse 5. He says, Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And by uh, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have attained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, uh, or just laziness, uh, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let there be a table, uh, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, um, a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down. Uh, they're back always. Um, not only does Paul know he's not alone, uh, he also knows that there are Jews uh, who have not rejected Jesus. Uh, that there are Jews scattered throughout the Roman Empire who are open and susceptible to Jesus being Messiah. And, and, and who, when Paul goes on his missionary journeys, uh, he goes, where's the first place Paul goes? Everywhere he goes on a missionary journey. He goes first to the synagogue and he preaches the gospel from the Jewish scriptures to the Jews in the synagogue. And those who believe, he takes those and he uses to establish house churches. And then he goes and he preaches on the other days uh, in, in the market squares where Gentiles are. And he begins to bring this marriage of Jew and Gentile, uh, believing Jews and Gentiles who believe uh, in that is forming the church. So he says, hey, there's a remnant. God hasn't turned his back on Israel uh, those who are elect, those who are saved, those who have received Jesus, but has he turned his back on the nation Israel as a whole? The Jews who have rejected Jesus as Messiah. Um, and we're going to talk just a little bit about that in, in more depth in just a second. Uh, but that's how Paul opens up this chapter. He says, has God rejected the Jews because they have rejected him? And Paul says, certainly not. And this is important because there's theology in, 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 in Christianity. Uh, it's called replacement theology. Uh, anyone ever heard of replacement theology before? Okay, um, so not many hands. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about replacement theology. Uh, replacement theology is this theology that the church is spiritual Israel. And that God no longer has a plan and a purpose for the nation of Israel and the Jews because they rejected Messiah, and now the church is the spiritual Israel. So when we see the promises to the nation Israel in the Old Testament, now as New Testament Christians, we can read back into that, that this is a promise for the church. So that when it is said of Abraham, your descendants, uh, those who curse them shall be cursed, and those who bless them shall be blessed. This is a promise for the church. The church will be blessed when people... Uh, when people bless the church, they will be blessed. When people curse the church, they will be cursed. Uh, though those things might happen, and though that might be a double fulfilling prophecy for Abraham, it does not negate the fact that it is about the children of Israel, the seed of Abraham. Uh, replacement theology uh, says that now uh, that we are the spiritual Israel, um, God has dealt severely with the Jews. Uh, they were the ones who killed Jesus. Uh, so God allowed the Romans to crush Jerusalem in 70 AD and in 130 AD, uh, when the Jews were pretty much destroyed uh, during the Roman Empire and were scattered throughout the world, that God had taken his uh, blessing and his chosenness off of the children of Israel. Um, how many of you, so I asked the question, how many of you ever heard of uh um, replacement theology, not many hands went up. How many of you have ever heard of anti-Semitism? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, so every hand goes up. Did you know anti-Semitism has its roots in replacement theology? Uh, God is done with Israel. Um, Israel killed God. 
so we should hate those who killed God, and since God's done with them, we can hate them even more. Replacement theology leads to anti-Semitism. Uh, and it, some divine plan to get rid of the Jews, I say divine in quotes, uh, is when you take a bad theology too far. Uh, Hitler took replacement theology and he took it too far. Uh, Hitler himself wouldn't at times claim to be a Christian, but some of the things that he did, uh, he did in the name of Christian faith, um, which is pretty downright terrible. Uh, and that stems from a theology that says the church is the spiritual Israel. Now, let me take a step back, because if a church has a theology that's replacement theology, where do they get it? Or are they just crazy people? No, no, no. The New Testament writers do talk about the church being an extension of the nation of Israel, being a spiritual Israel. It talks about that. It does. And that's that's found in Scripture. We're going to actually read in just a few verses how Paul talks about that. But what we have to do, anytime we read God's Word, uh, it, we cannot pick and choose the verses we want uh, to make them say things that we want them to say for our specific times. Um, much of replacement theology came about uh, during the Middle Ages. Um, the, 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 late, the late classical antiquity, uh, the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, it got pretty bad for Jewish people. Um, so here's the reality of why it got bad. Uh, they are God's chosen people. And even though they got scattered abroad, God still blessed them because they are Israel. Jews are God's chosen people. Uh, and so they were being blessed and they were being allowed to flourish. Uh, so you had big banks. You had uh, uh, successful businesses being run by Jewish merchants and Gentile uh, patrons of these things. They didn't like them. Uh, and so uh, you have throughout... Uh, Italy and throughout um, pretty much all of Europe, you have Jews who are running um, shops and Jews who are running businesses uh, who are being successful where their neighbor, who's the person whose ancestors are from that land, isn't doing very well. And there began to be this hatred against it. Uh, and so what did people do? They went to the church and said, hey, these people claim to be the followers of God. What does the church have to say? Well, the church at the time was struggling. Uh, in certain parts, other parts it was doing great financially, but it wasn't doing great spiritually. And so it was easy for them to say, oh, you know what? Well, God's done with Israel. God's done with the Jews. The Jews hated. Look what Paul says here. God, no, like the Jews, they rejected God. So God's done with them, the church. So you don't have to treat Jews kindly. Uh, how many of you ever heard of Martin Luther before? Okay. Uh, Martin Luther, great reformer. Lutheranism is comes from Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther was at times, uh, and and I say at times because he, he, he was a stud of a guy, uh, and, and he did amazing things for Christianity. But the man was a uh, raging anti-Semite. Uh, when he put together his canon of scripture, he took the book of James, he took the book of Hebrews, he took the book of Jude, he took them completely out of the New Testament. He said they're too Jewish. <laughs> Yeah, like anti-Jew, that the church was here to replace Israel. Now, that being said, um, where do you think I stand on this? Uh, I very much stand on the fact that God is not done with Israel. God has a plan for Israel, and Israel is still God's chosen people. You heard Pastor Dave say it on Sunday. Uh, when Abraham was given the promise, the promise was given also to Jacob. Uh, I will curse those who curse you. I will bless those who bless you. That is why America... Uh, still has God's blessing because we still support the nation Israel. And, and, and I, I'm not going to use, the, I was going to say pulpit. This is not a pulpit. This is a cool <laughs> table. Um, I'm not going to use the preaching table uh, to, to get up here and talk politically and about foreign policy and all that stuff. It's, it's not the place for it. Uh, but as the church, uh, we are on the shoulders of the nation of Israel. Uh, maybe not the current borders and the current nation and they're like the church doesn't sit on the, the the shoulders of the jewish prime minister but we sit on the shoulders of the jewish faith of the nation of israel proper uh god's chosen people um 
And we're going to see uh, that God is not done with Israel and how on earth replacement theology is able to uh, justify itself against Scripture is beyond me because Paul says this in verse 11. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fail or, or that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, uh, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So, um, one, the Jews are like, wait. God's saving Gentiles, there's some frustration. And it hardened their hearts. But you remember, uh, God continued to Pharaoh Harden's heart until he softened it. Uh, the Jews are, their hearts being hardened, but the Jews will uh, see Jesus as Messiah. And, and Scripture paints uh, this picture clearly in the book of Revelation, and it's prophesied in many other places. Um, let's look here now. Uh, as as we continue on uh, to verse uh, 15. Let's look at verse 15. Uh, we're going to look at verses 15 through uh, 22 right now. It says this, For if uh, their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, uh, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, then the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so too are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, uh, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you are not uh, uh, that you do not support the root, but that the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. I'm going to stop there just real quick. Uh, because, because Paul uses this great analogy. Uh, and I am not... Um, I am not a botanist. Uh, I am not someone uh, who works in farming. Uh, I am not someone who understands uh, the way. Uh, what is it? It's not husbandry because that's uh, that's animals. But yeah, yeah. But botany. There's there's a word I'm looking for that I don't have off the top of my head, but that's okay. Um, yeah, tree knowledge. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's definitely not tree knowledge. Um, but. Uh, you had in back in the day, you had olive, you you you, you had olive farms uh, where you had olive trees, uh, and, and and olives are one of the great natural resources of the Mediterranean. Uh, I mean, there are so many different kind of olives, and they're great. Uh, Dan and Dan and uh, Ben, you guys you guys love to laugh. I love it. Uh, Dan Dan told me Dan told me when he got here, he goes, I can't sit next to Ben. Because I'm going to laugh. Uh, and so now they sit across from each other so they can see each other laugh. I love it. I love it. It's great. Uh, so olives. Uh, olives are one of the great natural resources of the Mediterranean. Uh, and olives grow on trees, if you didn't know that. Um, well, you have your olive trees that are uh, the ones that are being uh, well kept, that are being pruned, uh, that are run by the farmer. And then you have wild olive trees that are kind of just growing and doing their thing. Well, these trees can grow side by side, uh, and they can intertwine, uh, and they can actually come together as one tree. They can share one common root. It's not just olive trees. We see it uh, all the time uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. You go out, uh, uh, walk, walk, uh, walk a trail... Uh, and look, and you can see where a tree has fallen down, and from that tree, a bird has flown by, done its little business, uh, and from a fallen fir tree, a maple tree can grow out of the out of the uh, the stump. Uh, it's not that the fir tree produced a maple tree; uh, it's that nature took place. Um, but also, if you have two trees that are growing close enough to a, next to one another, you have two oak trees that grow close enough to one another. At some point. Uh, these two trees cannot occupy the same ground. Uh, and so as their trunks begin to grow, these trees can actually grow into each other. And you'll see some trees that have this gigantic trunk. But as the trunk goes up, you'll see that there are two trees actually there. But these trees have actually grown together. Their root systems have intertwined and they have become one tree. Uh, that, that's what Paul's talking about here. He says we have this nice, tamed, pruned, worked on olive tree. That is the nation of Israel. And then we have this wild, crazy, it's a scraggly old olive bush. 
and that is the Gentiles. And the Jews, being those who did not believe, some of their branches fell off. Some of their branches got pruned. And as they're getting pruned, this scraggly Gentile olive branch, this is scraggly, and this is good, it moves in, and then it becomes one tree. I think that's really cool. And what he says is he says, if you are part of the scraggly wild olive branch and now you've become a part of the tree, don't boast and say to the branches that fell off, I'm something better because I'm a part of the tree. As if branches can boast. Um, it's an analogy. He says, but if you're going to boast, boast in the fact that you are, you have a root system now that is solid. Don't say I'm better than you because remember, you're not the one who supports the root. The root supports you. Who's the root? God. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Vine there. They, Jesus is the tree trunk. He is the root system. And we are the branches who are off from him. And what I love is Paul just speaks to humanity. Paul speaks to humanity because even People who are doing good and, and who have a heart and intent to do good, um, we still are just human. And the, and the word says there's none good, no, not even one. So Paul has to encourage this church here in Rome. He says this, and I love this. He says, you will say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. He says, well said, because the unbelievers were broken off, you stand in faith. But do not be haughty, but fear. Wait, what? Why? For if God did not spare the natural branches, what's to say he might not spare you either? So Paul Paul, Paul, Paul speaks to it because how many of you guys maybe uh, – I'm, I'm like the king of cheesy examples on the spot, but hey, that, that happens. So let's say uh, – who, who, I, I need two volunteers. Who wants to be my volunteer? Ooh. Dan and Ben. Dang it. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you don't have to stand okay, up. Good. Yeah, you just say seating. Uh, ben. <laughs> Yeah. Gets a brand new Mercedes Benz. It's a C class. It's looking good. He gets it and he's rolling around in his whip, whatnot. It's great. He totals it. Oh, he totals his car. It's a bummer. Someone salvages it, makes it look good because you lost it. You're like, it's it's totaled. You lost it. You're now Mercedes list. Someone salvages it and says, Hey Dan, I got a gift for you. It's a brand new Mercedes C class. Sweet. Sick. So Dan then, because Dan was actually jealous when Ben had it, Dan could now look at Ben and be like, yo, look at me, bro. I got this car. I got this car. But wisdom would say, hey, don't be haughty, but you should fear because chances are you could total it too. Mm-hmm. Bad example, but it's <laughs> close. Okay? It's close. What he's saying is, hey – the natural branches are God's chosen people, and they got cut off. What's to say he might not cut you off too? It, it encourages us to live better. It encourages us to live more for the Lord. It encourages us not to take our eyes off and reject God and say we can do it on our own or, or to add something to the gospel. You see, the Jews, they added to the law. God gave them a perfect law. What they do? They add 463 plus uh, additional laws to it. The book of Galatians, I'm teaching it with the youth group right now. The book of Galatians, its main focus is Jesus plus nothing. The gospel is Jesus. You cannot add to the gospel. So here's a little bit of encouragement to the church, these wild branches that have been grafted in. Uh, don't try and add and don't try and do it on your own. You can't. Remember, the root system, Jesus, keep your trust there. Um he goes on to talk about how God is good uh, and God is also severe, uh, but he has goodness uh, and that he loves us and wants uh, wants to continue with us. He says this, he says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. Um, God has not forgotten Israel. God has not rejected Israel 
for eternity or, or, or his rejection is not uh, finality or, or uh, the end of Israel. Um, Israel currently, I mean, when I'm saying Israel now, I, I'm speaking not of a nation. I'm speaking of, of, of the people, the Jews. Uh, their eyes are blinded. Uh, they, they do not see Jesus as Messiah. Um, when it comes to witnessing to other religions, one of the hardest religions to witness to uh, is Judaism. Uh, even though we share so much in common, uh, we are told here that God has closed their eyes, has blinded their eyes for a time. Um, does this mean no Jew can give their heart to the Lord? No, not at all. Not at all. The Holy Spirit is leading Jews just like he did in the first century. He's leading them now in the 21st century today. Um, but uh, their eyes are closed for a time, and God will remove the scales just like he removed the scales from, from Saul's eyes, and they will see Jesus as Messiah. Um, the reason why we're going through two chapters tonight, uh, let me just look uh, at my time. Okay, I had meant to spend 10 minutes in chapter 11. I spent 30. Um, typical. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, but the reason why we're doing two chapters tonight is because they're – there is application. There's a lot of application in chapter 12, so I'm not going to, or I mean in chapter 11, I'm not going to say there isn't. Um, but the main focus here is God's not done with Israel, so don't buy into replacement theology that we are some uh, higher called people uh, in the church than the nation of Israel, and God's just done with them. Uh, God's not done with the nation of Israel. Um, and that we are not to boast or, or be haughty as believers because we still uh, stumble in that. Uh, what I really want to get to is I want to get to chapter 12. And we might not do the entire chapter tonight just based off of our time. Um, but I, pick up with me in chapter 12, verse 1. And we're going to read, uh, oh, the first few verses or so. This is what it says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that is good and acceptable and perfect of the will of God. Uh, this is this is awesome. I present uh, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What is our reasonable service? To present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. Uh, Jesus says, be holy for I am holy. Uh, uh, John quotes that phrase over and over again. Uh, living sacrifices. We are dying to ourselves daily. Paul says, pick up your cross daily. Uh, he, he, say, he says in uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live through Christ Jesus the Son. We have to die to ourselves on a daily basis. And how many of us know that is not an easy thing to do at times? We are selfish people by nature. Uh, we are prideful people by nature. Uh, and Jesus says, die to that. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. So that's already counter to our nature. Uh, we want to seek first the kingdom of Matt. Uh, Levi, seek first the kingdom of Matt, right? No, no, no. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. But we like to seek first our own rather than things of God. Uh, he, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you guys maybe have a neighbor who isn't very cool? Uh, how many of you guys, when it says neighbor, you realize that it means more than just your physical neighbor. It means the people around us. Right. How many of us know sometimes loving the people around us is not something that is easy to do? Okay. We're going to do a little experiment here. And uh, this is a trick question. This is a trick question. Uh, so just know it's a trick question. And if you raise your hand, I'm going to turn something right back around on you. But it's okay. Still be honest. Uh, how many of you guys say it is not easy uh, to love some people in your life? It's not easy to love some people in your life. Yeah. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a family member. Uh, pretty much all of us raised our hands, right? Okay. Here's the little trick question part. John in his letter that we called First John, uh, he says, check this out. Uh, he says, one of the ways that we know we are of God is that we follow his commandments. What are his commandments? He was asked, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says to him, what? Love God. Yeah, he says, love God. 
He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. Or our body, our soul, our mind. Like, love the Lord your God first. Sorry, everyone's got different translations. Great. Uh, love God. But then he says it doesn't end there. What does he say after that? He says, and the second commandment is like it. Yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, by this we know that we are children of God, that we follow his commandments. Comma. Commandments. Love God. Love people. Love everyone. And then what does it say after the comma? It says this. By this we know that we are children of God, that we love, or, 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 or that we follow his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. his commandments aren't that hard. So we all just raise our hands. Hey, you know, sometimes it's pretty hard to love. No, the reality is it's not. We just get in the way. And we have to die to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let that sink in just a little bit. Uh, we all raise our hands, said it's hard to love people at times. But the Bible tells us if we are children of God, it is not hard to love people. It makes me think sometimes, am I a child of God? Well, yes, I am. And he's called me by name and I know that. And I don't actually question my salvation. But in those moments, I say, am I picking up my cross daily and following Christ? Am I crucified with Christ? Am I a living sacrifice? Holy and acceptable. I'd say in that moment when I'm thinking it's hard to love someone, I'm not holy and I'm not acceptable. Uh, so there's a call to live more for the Lord. Uh, he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that the good, uh, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Uh, this also echoes what John says in 1 John. Listen to this. He says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For... All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't love the things of the world, but be transformed. Why shouldn't we love the things of the world? Because it's all dying. It's all fading away. But if we... Do the will of God. If we do the will of God, we will abide forever. What's the will of God? That we present ourselves as living sacrifices. So that's a beautiful harmony of Scripture. Uh, The world is passing away all around us, uh, and we have a job to do as believers. And that job to do is to live as a representation for the Lord. So what does Paul say? He says, For I say, through, uh, through the grace given to me, Uh, To everyone who is among you, uh, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, uh, or to think of um, he ought, but to think of himself soberly, as God has uh, dealt to each a measure of faith. Uh, He goes back to this, hey, don't think of yourself better, don't be haughty, uh, but we should be thinking of ourselves uh, as equals because God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Uh, Now here's some cool verses. He says this. Uh, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Hey, our bodies have a bunch of different members. So too, we as Christians and the church, we have a bunch of different members. It sounds kind of familiar of another portion of scripture. Well, Paul, he wrote this letter, uh, to the church in Ephesus. We call it Ephesians. And it says this, uh, He says, uh, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of one faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, uh, to be a perfect man in a measure of stature of faith, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried away by every wind of doctrine and trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and the deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow in all things uh, into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined together and knit by every joint supplies according to the effective working uh, by every part doing its share uh, causes the growth the growth of the body for the edifying of itself 
in love. So we are a body and we are being built together uh, by one another upon the foundation that is Christ. And we are living our lives in such a way that we are trying to emulate and glorify Christ, who is the head of this body. So coming back to Romans chapter 12. Verse six uh, or, or verse five, he says this. So we, being many of one body of Christ, are individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If we have been given prophecy, let us prophesy in the portion to our faith. Or God has given us a certain amount. Let us use it to its full potential. If it's prophecy, prophesy to your full potential. If it's ministry, let us use our ministering. He who teaches, let him teach to the fullest capacity that God has given. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives, let him give liberally. He who leads, let him do so with diligence. He who shows mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Here's the thing. God has given the body every spiritual gift. The book of Ephesians says we... uh, By being adopted into the family of God, we have been blessed with every spiritual gift from on high. God has given each believer every spiritual gift. Now, if we were to draw a bunch, I don't have a whiteboard right now, but if we were to draw a bunch of individual um, beakers, you know what everyone knows what a beaker is, right? If we were to draw a bunch of individual beakers up here and we were to write each one of our names underneath them, and then we were to have different color markers that were correlated with all these different gifts. We could like color in bars, different levels. And all of our beakers would look different because we'd all have different amounts of each gift, but we would have every gift. Now, if everyone in here had the exact same amount of every gift, what would be the point? Right? Mm-hmm. We wouldn't get a lot done. I watched a video because I love watching videos. Um, uh, how many of you guys have ever seen the YouTube channel Because Science? Anyone see Because Science? Uh, it's 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 a nerd it's a nerd uh, uh, YouTube channel where they break down like comic book lore uh, and how it could actually work because of science. I think it's awesome. Well, they they posted a video a few days ago uh, how Powerpuff Girls hands work. You guys remember the Powerpuff Girls? Anyone remember? Anyone remember their hands? They don't have fingers. They're just like these like nubs or stubs. Uh, And anatomically, they wouldn't be able to pick anything up. This is going somewhere, I promise. So there are weird corners of the internet that have theorized how their hands actually work. So some people have theorized that it's like spider's legs, how they have all the little fibers and they can grab things like that. <laughs> Other people have theorized that if you were to take a microscope to a Powerpuff Girl's hand, it would be like if you were to take a microscope to her tongue and you can see all the individual taste buds, that the Powerpuff Girl's hand zoomed in enough, you would actually see millions of tiny little hands all next to each other. It would be a sea of hands. That's creepy. And then they could grab things. It's super creepy, but think about it. That's what Paul's getting at, why we all have different giftings. What if we were all hands? What if we were all hands? We wouldn't be able to... This body would not function. Because how would we see? When was the last time you tried to look at something with your hands? Right? Okay, so, so we're feeling things. Great, thank you. Great example. We're feeling things, but are we actually seeing it? If I were to say, hey, Levi, look at my hood right now. Well, none of us would be able to see it because it's dark outside, all right? But would you ever be able to see it with your hand? No. Okay. How many of us, if we're all hands, how many of us would be able to appreciate good music? Oh, we could feel the keys on a piano, and we could think, oh, this sounds good. But a two-year-old can feel the keys on a piano and think it sounds good, but we all who have ears know it doesn't, right? That is why, unless it's a child prodigy, which more power to him, right? If we were all the same, we would not be a functioning body. But he has gifted us each differently, and it's beautiful. So to him who prophesies, let him prophesy in the measure of faith that is given to him. Generosity. Some people just have a, a, a potential to be more generous from a fiscal standpoint. Now, I'm not getting up here saying that someone is more generous if they give more money. Because what happened with those who were giving money just like it was going out of style, and then the widow who had nothing came and brought her widow's might. 
Jesus said, she's given more than all of you. So it's not just about the fiscal side of things, but there are people who can be more financially generous. Other people have, how many of you guys have ever had, uh, like doing like uh, yard work for an elderly person? Uh, and you go inside and they made you like pie and lemonade. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, yeah. Why is it that ice water when you're doing yard work for an elderly person tastes better than ice water when you pour it yourself? Right? It's generosity, right? It's this flavor of generosity. It's great. Uh, do not tweet that or use that, the flavor of generosity. That's not, that's not a theological point I'm trying to make here. What I'm trying to say is the church has giftings. And each one is gifted differently according to God's plan and purpose for you specifically. So some of us are the eyes. Some of us are the nose. Some of us are the mouth. Some of us are the hands. Some of us are the stub that's made up of a million hands. I don't even know. But the reality is we're instructed and encouraged in Corinthians to find out how we're gifted and then really operate in it. Yeah, that's true. And when we operate in our gifting to its fullest extent, it is like an athlete's body operating and firing on all cylinders. Y'all seen Usain Bolt? He's fast. You ever watch like slow motion video of his legs as he's running? No one else? Okay. Uh, His fast twitch muscles? I mean, he's got like... Little muscles on top of muscles that are just doing their thing in his quads as he's running. It's like, oh my goodness, this dude is just peak performance. The church, when the members of the church are operating in their giftings at their fullest potential, the church is like an athlete at peak performance. Why was the gospel able to spread in the first century so rapidly? Because the church was a powerhouse athlete. And it was operating and functioning on full capacity. There, There's a, a statement uh, that was said. Uh, I forget who said it uh, off the top of my head. Uh, but talked about, uh, it, it was during the Enlightenment in the 1800s. It was in reference to the church. Uh, and, and the statement was, awake, O sleeper. Um, that the church was not operating as a jacked powerhouse athlete. But as a lazy, lethargic person just laying down, eating the hand, hand stuck in the bowl of potato chips. And he was too lazy. To, it's, it's like what the proverb says. Uh, you put your hand in the bowl of potato chips and you're too lazy to even bring a chip to your mouth. Uh, that's the church when it's not functioning. Uh, and that's when the gospel is not spreading. Um, and that goes to us as specific individuals, but also as the whole. We need to be a church that's functioning at full capacity. What does that mean? It means operating in our giftings. If you've been gifted with being generous, yet you're not being generous, you're crippling the church. If you are someone who is gifted in teaching and you're not using your gift, you're crippling the church. If you're someone who is gifted in mercy, but you're not being cheerful, you're crippling the church. Um, And so we need to function at full capacity what does paul say right after that he says let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil and cling to what is good Um, we could function in all those gifts and and paul actually talks about functioning in giftings in first corinthians chapter 13 how many of you guys know 1 Corinthians chapter 13? The love chapter, right? Uh, we call it the love chapter because it's convenient, but we actually take chapter 13 out of context. Mm-hmm. Chapter 13 is not a chapter all about love. 1 Corinthians is a chapter all about the Holy Spirit uh, and the Holy Spirit's role in the church uh, with a little icing on the cake called love. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 run simultaneous with one another. And Paul is calling out the church for operating in its gifts wrong. In chapter 12, chapter 14, he says this is how to operate in them correctly. Chapter 13 is the remedy for fixing the wrong way of doing it. What is the remedy? If I speak with the tongue of men and angel but have not love, I am a 
clanging brass and a noising or clanging cymbal and a noising brass. Uh, I I can prophesy. I can I, I I can heal. I can do all these things. But if I have not love, I'm nothing. So that's why he's saying here in chapter 12 of Romans, he says, do the gifts and do them in full faith. But if you're not doing it in love, you're a hypocrite. And that's not good. You're not actually going to function well. You might think you are. So back to our athlete, right? Uh, how many people out there know that there are lazy people who like shortcuts? Yeah. Okay. Anyone see a shortcut athlete before? Uh yeah, steroids or or uh, uh, enhancing drugs. They're 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 taking the loophole, the workaround. Um, they don't want to put in the hard work. And when they don't, Dan's over here. He, he's feeling really convicted because he's yeah, he, he's, been he, he's been juicing on steroids. Um, no, they're cutting corners. And what happens when they cut corners? It will eventually catch up with them. Oh, they might look good and they might perform well. They might break records. But at the end of the day, sometimes they get an asterisk next to their record. Sometimes their body just fails because it's been fake. Uh, and, and that's what operating in our full potential without love is. We're going to fail. We're going to fall short. We can't do it on our own. We need to abhor what is evil and clean to what is good. Um, I'm going to let you guys uh, finish reading this on your own. I encourage you guys to read um, what we study on Tuesday night on your own. Don't just take my word for it. Read it and then study it as well. Uh, but I'm going to leave us with just with a few uh, verses that, that I've, I've taken a note. Do not set your mind on the high things, but associate with the humble. Uh, do not be wise in your own opinion. I think that's a good verse. I, I think that's a good reminder to us not to set ourselves on some sort of pedestal, but be humble. Mm -hmm. Be humble always. If anyone could have set themselves on a pedestal, it was Jesus. He was God. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, he humbled himself. Uh, I think that's good. Uh, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. I think that's, I think that's important uh, because sometimes we try to, we try to be like, ah, that guy really messed with me. Mess with me, I'm gonna get him back. Uh, no, no, we love one another. Um, and if we think vengefully, uh, first John tells us uh, if we think that way, uh, it means we hate our brother, which means the love of God does not abide in us, which means if the love of God does not abide in us, we're not children of God. Uh, so if we are vengeful people, um, we need to think about is our branch being cut off right now? Uh, we need to be people who love. And then lastly, this is how he ends the chapter. I think this is so good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, that's, a, that's a good reminder to the believer. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you uh, for this evening. We thank you for your word. Uh, God, we pray that, uh, that we would continue uh, to focus on you. Uh, to keep our eyes uh, set on you, focused on the cross. God, that we would pick up our cross uh, daily, that we would follow you, that we would be crucified with Christ, that it would be no longer us who live, but the you who live through us. Uh, God, I pray that we would operate in the giftings you've given us. God, that we would do so with love. Uh, God, and that as we do that, we would not set ourselves up, but that we would live humbly. Uh, and God, that we would seek to be people who are not conformed to the world, but who are transformed. Yeah. Uh, God, that, that we would live our lives uh, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto you. Um, for this is our reasonable service. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the will of God. Uh, God, we pray that in all things we would seek to bring honor and glory to you. God, that your name would be lifted high. And God, that we, uh, as a body, tightly knit one to another. Um, God, that we would function at peak performance. So, God, we thank you. We praise you. Be with us as we go from this place tonight. We pray all this in your son's wonderful, beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. 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 amen.